Right on, turn with me, uh, yeah, to Romans chapter 16, and this morning we're going to wrap up this series in Romans, and uh, finally arrived here at the last chapter of this book, and when you, when you come to the end of Romans here, and you kind of just at first glance start to cruise these verses and look at what's going on here, it's really easy to think, well, okay, well, it's just kind of... Uh, a bit of a lame chapter for the end of a great book. And in fact, what they say is, scholars say this, they say that there's many ancient uh, manuscripts of Romans that do not include Romans chapter 16 because a lot of the ancient church just thought it was a little bit of a meaningless chapter. But um, it's, it's pretty sweet. It's actually quite an incredible chapter is what I would say because well, what we're going to see is this, is that Paul just wasn't like an apostle and a church planter and a soul winner. Uh, Paul was also a friend maker. Paul made friends in the kingdom everywhere he went and everywhere he, he served the Lord. And when you're following Jesus and hanging out with him and hanging out with his people, you are bound to make very meaningful friendships in your life. And Paul was that way because our God is that way. Our God is a relational God. He wants relationship with people. And so when he draws us into relationship with himself, he draws us into relationship with one another. And so Paul here is just gonna end this letter with a lot of, a lot of greetings and he's gonna bring us into his family, the church family. And I just think about that. You know, uh, yesterday, some of you guys know Ken Montgomery got married. Uh, Ken and Brenda got married yesterday. Uh, at Crossroads Church in Seashell, and there was a, a crew of us here from CTK, and it was just it was just so cool to see God at work there, but then also to see two church families supporting this couple that had met between two churches, and and our God is relational. He he brings us into family. We are the family of God, and and in our lives as we pursue Jesus, really what that tells me, what this chapter tells me is that. It, our pursuit of Christ is not to happen in isolation of, of one another. And so Paul's an incredible example of that. He served Jesus alongside of other people. With friends, he put his hand to the plow. With friends. Not just people who were there to help serve what he was doing for the kingdom of God. No, he built friendships. They put their hands to the plow together. They went into spiritual battle together. They prayed together, they traveled together, they proclaimed the word of God together, they shared victories with one another, they planted churches with one another, they witnessed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and his transforming power with one another, they shared failures with one another, they shared defeats and struggles and some of these people who Paul mentions shared prison cells with him. Together as friends, they worshiped Jesus and they worked together for his glory and for his name and for his kingdom. And so, you know, as I think about this chapter, to me, just like one of, I think one of the great benefits of the kingdom of God is the friendships that develop between his people as we share Jesus in common. Don't you think that's true? I mean, just for me, I, and I know that I'm, uh, I would tell you this, like one of, the become, one of the highlights of my week has become Tuesday morning with our, our men. You know, some of you guys that come out on Tuesday morning, we just have a great time getting together, laughing, making fun of one another because we're men. That's like part of friendship and joking around and talking about the world and talking about the kingdom and talking about our lives and praying with one another. And, and, so here's Paul, he's winding things down, writing to this church, wrapping up this letter to the Roman church, and he extends greetings to 26 people that he names in the city of Rome. And, and then a bunch that he doesn't even name, that he just speaks of in, in general. And then as he says a few more words, he speaks from Corinth. He's writing this letter from the city of Corinth. And then he names nine people that he's hanging out with in Corinth while he's doing ministry there and thinking about the church in Rome. And so it just, it just tells us this, that we need one another in the trenches. That, that in serving Jesus, relationships with people matter. We need one another. And so let's just check this out together this morning. Some of Paul's friends, some of them, 
You'll recognize their names, others of them. We don't really know much about them. There's little hints, and we'll just try and grab some of them this morning, okay? Not, not every single one, but we'll, we'll try and get a sense of some of who these folks are. And so let's check it out in verse 1. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Paul mentions this lady first because the idea is this. He is putting the letter to the Roman church in her hands. She is taking it from the city of Corinth and she is delivering it to the, to the, the church in Rome. And Paul Tell, says of this woman, she is a servant of the church in Sancria. Literally, that description is this, is the word that we, we use is deacon or deaconess. Okay, that word means this, servant, that word deacon. Just means simply servant. And Phoebe had this reputation as a servant amongst the church, as a deaconess for helping the poor, uh, helping uh, those in need. And I, I just... I, I love that picture. We're going to see lots of women mentioned in, in this letter. And, and it's just amazing the way God has gifted women often to serve his church. Maybe to help, help in hospitality, to uh, serve their church family for those who are in need, helping the poor, visiting the sick. And, and Paul confesses, the Apostle Paul says, Phoebe has been a great help to me in the ministry of the church. And I imagine that she carried part of the load even in Corinth. And, and you know, you just, you just think about this woman. Like as she comes, Paul says she's been a patron. You need to recognize her as she comes into your midst. And it's interesting because he's like, he's putting the stamp of approval on this woman and on her service to the church. And I think, you know, that's, that's helpful. That's needy. You know, over the years, different times, I've had... Uh, maybe a pastor call me and say, hey, we've had so-and-so move from your community and they've come into your, our area and they've showed up at our church. Tell me about this person. Or vice versa. I've picked up the phone and said, hey, what's going on here? Or some of you that in this church have said, hey, my, my, I come with my pastor's approval or, or greeting or this is my history. And it's, so it's like an awesome thing when church families can do that. And so Paul sends her to Rome with this letter, and she sa- he says this, she's got my stamp of approval. This woman is a faithful servant of the church. She, she is a patron of the saints. And you know, you just think, today there are many of those, there, there, there are deceivers within churches, right? Those that are deceptive, they wanna take advantage of Christians and take advantage of believers and their generosity. You know, I don't know about you, but I seem to get like emails and, letters sometimes from different ministries or different things and television preachers or whatever it might be and it seems all they ever want is a few bucks from you or maybe not a few all of your bucks and so Paul Paul says so it's really great when someone gets an approval and so Paul says "Here, here she comes I commend Phoebe to you receive her assist her as she serves you and it's interesting the name Phoebe is actually a form of uh, a title given to the Greek pagan god, Apollo. It means the bright one. And you know, it's just interesting that, that as we read this, we're gonna see a lot of these Christians didn't necessarily have Christian names or Jewish names. You know, they had Roman names or, or Greek names. And, and some of them just didn't sense the need even on their conversion and their decision to follow Jesus to have to, change their name because there was some sort of significance to the name that they had been given at birth. They said, no, I'm going to serve Jesus. This is what I've been called. This is who I've been named, and I'm going to serve Jesus. And so here's Phoebe. He says in verse 3, greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom, I've, to whom not only I give thanks, but but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Great thing. I mean, it's, it's interesting because we know this as we've been going through realms. We've, I've told you time and time again, this Jewish-Gentile conflict that was happening in the church there in Rome. And says, greet this couple that has specifically had a ministry that's been a real blessing to the churches of the Gentiles. He says, Paul says about them, they risk their necks. 
They risked their necks for me. Isn't that quite the picture? I like that wording. Just describes their commitment to the gospel. What they were willing to do for the sake of the gospel. Paul's saying this. They, could, they would put their lives on the line for the name of Jesus Christ. Now we know Priscilla and Aquila from the book of Acts. They were tent makers. They had the same trade as Paul. And that's where Paul originally built that relationship with them. He actually first met them in Rome, or sorry, in Corinth. And the book of Acts tells us, I just remind you to pull together some of the dots that are in the scriptures, that Priscilla and Aquila originally left Rome because they were fleeing the persecution that was there. You remember I've told you throughout the book of Rome, Romans that it was the emperor Claudius who began to uh, persecute the church and the church took off from Rome, specifically the Jews. And so Priscilla and Aquila were two of those ones that took off and they ended up in Corinth where they met Paul, they joined Paul and together they worked with their hands making tents and uh, doing the work of the gospel they were the ones who traveled with him to Ephesus. They were the ones who were significant in the life of Apollos. We read about that in Acts chapter 18, that they, they met Apollos, who was a native of Alexandria, who had come to Ephesus. And the scripture says about Apollos that he was a learned man in the scriptures, that he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, that he preached Jesus very accurately, but he only knew about the baptism of John. He only knew about the early message that, that Jesus had proclaimed with regards to the baptism of John. And he was speaking boldly in that community and speaking boldly in the synagogue. And so when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And so here you have Priscilla and Aquila, friends of Paul's. They're a husband and wife team. It's incredible what a husband and wife can do together when they're serving Jesus together and being about the work of the kingdom. I mean, just think, like if you think about Priscilla and Aquila, let me compare them to another couple. Let me throw out two more names from the book of Acts. Think about these two names and what you think of them. Ananias and Sapphira. Priscilla and Aquila and Ananias and Sapphira. Could there not be a, a bigger contrast in the scripture of a of married couple serving, serving the Lord? You know, Ananias and Sapphira were that couple that conspired to live a life of hypocrisy. That conspired to misrepresent the sincerity of their faith to believers who ultimately, the scripture says, lied to the Holy Spirit and the Lord struck them down because of it. And so here you have that couple and you have this couple that's faithfully served alongside Paul for, for many years, the sincere and the Lord used them in dynamic ways. Nothing flashy about them, just faithful people. And, and even when you consider them, it's interesting that Priscilla's actually mentioned first, typically when they're mentioned, that Priscilla and Aquila are named six times in the scripture. And four, four of those times, the wife is mentioned first. And to me, it just suggests like, out of, out of, in the dynamic of their marriage, she seems to be al almost to have the more dynamic of the two the, uh, in, in terms of ministry. So great couple. Paul says, they put their necks on the line for me and for the gospel. He says in verse five, greet also the church in their house. What a great picture that is. This, this couple used their home as a ministry center. That's part of serving Jesus as, a, as husband and wife that our homes would become a, a ministry center. And I would say to you as I read that, I mean, I, I just would remind you, don't get confused about what the church is. You know, we gather here in this great space that we love, the club, CTK, but this is not the church. We're the church, right? You and I, we are the church. And, and Paul says this, that the church met in their home. And the reality is, is the church can meet anywhere. You know, the church can meet in an old nightclub. The church can meet on the beach. The church can meet wherever because the Lord said, where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. He goes on in verse five. He says, greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Paul, as he's writing this, I think he's just reminiscing 
He's remembering the work of God and all the things that God has done over the years throughout ministry. And, and Eponidas was Paul's first convert in the province of Asia. You know, when you go somewhere and you're doing ministry somewhere, you never forget the first one that comes to faith in Jesus. And Paul remembered Eponidas and it just like pulled on his heartstrings. You know, the book of Acts tells us that when Paul was on his second missionary journey, he was making plans and the Holy Spirit stopped him and the Holy Spirit said, you are not to go into the province of Asia. Do you remember that from the book of Acts? And the Spirit spoke to him and he had a dream. A man came to him from Macedonia and said, come and preach the gospel to us. And so Paul was on the borders of Asia about to go in there and the Holy Spirit stopped him and he went to Macedonia and he had a great time of ministry there. And it wasn't until he was on his third missionary journey that he finally came to Ephesus. And let me remind you what happened when he came to Ephesus that as he preached the gospel, some people began to believe in Jesus and revival broke out in the city of Ephesus to this point. You, you'll remember this from the book of Acts. That it actually changed the economy in the city of Ephesus because there, uh, they were known for their making of the silver shrines. Do you remember? And the idols for the worship of their false god there. And revival so broke out in that community that people stopped buying the shrines. They began to burn the things that they had. Acts, Acts tells us when I go through and I kind of consider what the numbers just kind of say when they gathered together to burn all of this idle stuff that they had and witchcraft and false God. It's like millions of dollars worth of stuff and current day material. And they, they, they burnt it up and, and a riot broke out because so many people were turning to faith in Jesus and there were those who were resisting it. And so Paul says in F and Eponidas was the first. He was the first one in Asia. And so I just imagine when Paul thought of this man, he's like, man, I got fond memories. You know, we sat together. I discipled him. I taught him the simple things of Jesus and helped him grow and showed him the word of God and taught him how to pray. And they became friends. They became friends. He says in verse six, greet Mary who has worked hard for you. You know, in the scriptures, there's six Marys mentioned. And some of them are really significant. Obviously, there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's Mary Magdalene. There's Mary, the sister of Martha. Remember, Martha said, you know, here I am, Lord. I'm working away. And there's my sister sitting at your feet. And Jesus said, she's chose the more valuable thing to sit with me. And you think of the name Mary, and it's like one of those names in the scripture that just seems to have big shoes attached to it, big shoes to fill. And this Mary here, we don't know anything about her, but she did what God called her to do. Paul said, she's worked hard for you. She's worked hard for you. She, she's a good example. It's interesting of one who works hard. Remember, remember Martha, working hard, striving. Now we have another Mary. And this Mary was a hard worker. Verse 7 Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Interesting, he, he says kinsmen, that could mean they're his relatives. Uh, kind of maybe, maybe he's saying they're my relatives in the family of God. Maybe they are physical relatives of Paul. And he, he says they were Christians. They were in Christ before I was. He says they spent time in prison with me. Um, he says that they're well known to the apostles, which is interesting. You just think about Peter and, and John and, and James and Andrew and that whole group that had followed Jesus, the 12, who had been commissioned as apostles. And, and Paul says these two are well known to the apostles because of their, their ministry. Verse 8, he says, Greet Apollatus, my beloved in the Lord. My beloved in the Lord. He calls a few people this in this text, but to me, that, that means this. It's the one whom I love in the Lord. And it reminds me of David and Jonathan. Remember David and Jonathan from the scripture and their, their deep friendship that they have that Jonathan said of David, he said that your love, David, is better than that of a woman. And and. There was nothing funny between David and Jonathan. Nothing funny going on. What that was, it was speaking of a, 
of a, of a, a friendship, a, a hearts that had been so knit together in the Lord that it was more powerful than that of an intimacy between a man and a woman, that, that God had knit their hearts together and they treasured their friendship. And that's what, that what, that's what Paul says here about, about this man, Apollatus. Incredible friendship. God's knit my heart to yours. You're my beloved, my friend whom I love. And I, and I just would ask you this, like, do you have a brother or a sister in Christ about whom you would say that? Someone whom God has just knit your heart together with theirs. That together it's like their friendship pushes you to Jesus and you push them to Jesus and you share life together in the Lord. It's like when trouble happens or this happens, it's like that's the phone, that's the person you pick up the phone and call and say, hey, can you pray with me? I need encouragement or, hey, this is going on in my life. Incredible friendship. He says in verse nine, Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachius. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Uh, some traditions actually say that Aristobulus was the brother of Barnabas. Remember him, the son of encouragement from the book of Acts? Uh, other traditions say that he, well, they, they say with regards to that, that he was maybe appointed as a bishop by Paul and Barnabas. Other traditions say that uh, Aristobulus was the grandson of Herod the Great. Now that's interesting if that's true. You remember that Herod, Herod the Great was the king who was alive and ruling in Jerusalem when Jesus was born. It was he who gave the command that all of the infant boys below the age of two in Bethlehem and all of that region were to be slaughtered and and murdered in his pursuit of killing uh, this newborn king. Uh, Herod the Great, of course, was, he was a nutcase, and it's so interesting when you do go to Israel, because you see, he, he's a major figure, and everywhere that you go, and you see the architecture, and the things that he built, but one of the things about him was he was a nutcase, and his desire to, and he got more so as, as uh, he got sicker, and older, and uh, one of the things that he was known to do was to kill his own children or to kill one of his many wives uh, to preserve his throne. If he felt that there was a threat to his throne, he would take out members of his own household. And so it's very interesting to think, well, maybe this was his grandson who's now counted amongst those who followed Jesus. To me, that's the humor of the Lord. It's like, yeah, right, man, you try and kill me. Your children belong to me. I'm going to come, and I'm going to take them, and they're going to serve me. And so what a, what a neat thought. Others wonder about this man, Aristobulus. It's kind of interesting because different things float around him, but some, some suggest, well, maybe Paul was not specifically greeting him, but the members of his household. Like, like they were serving Jesus, and maybe the fact, the way that this is worded, greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus, like they're following Jesus and this one, the man of the house is not. And so it's like Paul saying, where are you, Aristobulus? Your family's serving Jesus. Will you not do so the same? God's grace is to you as well. And so there's kind of some church tradition and history with regards to some of these names. Verse 11, he says, greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. So Herodian, again, my kinsman could mean my relative. Again, it's interesting that that name Herodian, it's a derivative of, of Herod. Uh, derived in name, I would say, but not derived in spirit, right? Because this person was a follower of Jesus. Narcissus, Paul doesn't tell us if he's a believer. Some, some scholars suggest that he was a prominent freed man who served as the secretary to the emperor Claudius which is interesting with regards to the Roman church and, and all the persecution that they had undergone that Paul would greet this person verse 12 he says greet those workers in the Lord Tryphena and Tryphosa greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord Tryphena and Tryphosa those are two women uh, some suggest maybe they were twins. Likely they were sisters. 
their names actually suggest uh, the idea of softness, tenderness, Trifena and Trifosa. But Paul says this, your names are soft, but you work hard. That's what he says. You're workers in the Lord, Trifena and Trifosa. Persis was another woman who Paul says worked very hard in the Lord. And so you just consider some of these ladies that are mentioned here and the, and the huge ministry that they had amongst the apostles, amongst Paul, amongst Timothy, amongst the early church and their reputation for working with regards to things of the kingdom. Verse 13, he says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. I like that. You know, it's uh, Rufus, just to give you the idea of who Rufus is. Rufus is connected all the way back to the Gospels because Rufus's father was Simon of Cyrene. Do you remember who Simon of Cyrene was? The man who the Roman soldiers lay hold of during that Passover weekend when Jesus could no longer carry that cross because he was so physically beaten, they grabbed Simon and Simon carried the cross. And Rufus is the son of Simon from Cyrene. And it just, just blows you away because you think, wow, you know, Simon, uh, Simon was just there at Passover, like visiting the city of Jerusalem, there to worship the Lord, there to celebrate uh, Passover in Jesus, he met Jesus. Uh, he literally picked up the cross and followed Jesus. And his son went on to follow Jesus as well. And, and Paul makes mention of his mother, Rufus's mother. Paul says, your mother has been like a mother to me. You have people like that in the kingdom of God? Do you? You know, uh, I'm thankful for that. I, I, think, I, th I think of Murray, Beth. That makes me think of Murray as you shared about him because Murray would say, he would call me son. And we kind of had this adopted father-son relationship within our church. And I was thankful for that. And, there, and there's people who do that for us within the kingdom of God. They come alongside like a mother or like a father and they care for us. And Paul says, your mom, she's been like a mom to me too. Verse 14. Greet Asyntrichus, Philegion, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are there with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and our sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. I, just, I like that. It's just, he doesn't just drop these names, but he's like, greet the brothers with them. Greet the saints with them. Isn't this a great picture of Paul? Like We just see his warmth. His, his love, his care, his pastoral heart for the church there. I, I mean, when I, when I cruise across those names, the one that's interesting to me is the name Philogus. Philogus. It's interesting to think about what that means. In, in Greek, in ancient Greek, there's three words for the, law, for, the word, for the English word that we translate love. There's agape, right, which speaks of spiritual love. There's eros, which speaks of uh, physical intimate, intimacy, sexual love. And then there's the word phileo, which speaks of brotherly love. Now, here's this guy's name, Phil. They called him Phil for short, I imagine. Okay? And it speaks of love, brotherly love. But then the second part of his name is this, logos. Logos, and that's the Greek word for word. It means word. Like John chapter 1, in the beginning was the... Word. In the beginning was the Logos. That's the idea. And it donate, in, in, in John, in ancient Greek, in, in, in the Bible, that word Logos denotes the essential uh, word of God, that Jesus Christ is the word made manifest. That Jesus Christ is the personal wisdom and power of God in the flesh. Logos. You remember Genesis chapter 1? In the beginning, God said. And the scripture tells us that, that God's minister and creation, the power with which he created was his word. Was his word. The New Testament tells us that with his word, he sustains all things and all things are held together. It's speaking of Jesus Christ. 
the word made flesh. The word who came to, to save mankind, to procure salvation for all of mankind. The God made flesh who came and took on human nature, Jesus the Messiah, the second person of the Godhead, the Trinity. And so this man's name is Philogus, lover of the word. That's his name. I think that's the name he took on because, you know, when we talk about maybe they kept their names or maybe they didn't when they came to faith, this guy said, man, call me Phil. I'm in love with Jesus. I love the word. He says in verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Uh, I like this, but I would say, you know, especially the man, save your kisses for your wives. A uh, hug will do here for me as, as far as I'm concerned, but no. It's just interesting when you think about it, because Paul, Paul says, greet one another with a kiss, and it reminds me of another kiss in the scripture. And Jesus was betrayed with a, a kiss. You know, a kiss can just, uh, could be a, a kiss of betrayal like Judas in that garden of Gethsemane. Or as Paul said, greet one another with a holy kiss with, a, with a, a kiss that's a true greeting. He says in verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. You know, when I read that in verse 17, it reminds me all the way back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul again says, therefore I urge you, brothers, remember that verse? In view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God, holy and pleasing. It's your spiritual act of worship. Paul uses the same terminology here, and he says, I am appealing to you. I am wrestling for you. I am urging you. And he is speaking of those who would seek to bring division or to divide the body of Christ there in Rome. And you know, it's, it's just a reality that one of the roles of the church and God's people is this, is to guard one another, to guard one another and to remain faithful to the message of the gospel. You know, it's been said this, that truth without unity leads to pride and unity without truth leads to a departure from the gospel. And so Paul is telling the church, you need to guard the truth and guard unity amongst you. Don't put up with those who bring division. Don't put up with those who are false teachers. You know, I, I, I recall a number of years ago, and I've told you guys this story a few times, but it was significant. You know, a couple Mormon guys showed up at my door and, when sat out with them, and I told you this before too, I offered them coffee right away because I knew that they didn't drink coffee. I just wanted to be cheeky. So I said, you know, can I get you a cup of coffee while we sit out here? And, um, you know, I purposely didn't invite them into my home. I took them, kept them outside my home, and we met outside in the front because I didn't want to welcome them in my home because they were not coming in the name of Jesus Christ. And they were there to evangelize me, to proselytize me to their false gospel. And, and I was nice to them. And I think sometimes when I recall that situation, it's the only time I ever sat down with Mormons. So that's why it was significant to me. And I, and I go, you know what? I wish I wasn't so nice, actually. I should have pressed a lot harder. And you know, I, you remember that old, when I was a kid, you know, we had a, this machine. Some of you guys don't know what this is, but it was called a VHS. <laughs> cassettes, you know. And we had one movie that our family kind of owned that I remember, and it was Old Yeller. <laughs> remember that movie, Old Yeller? Some of you guys have seen the movie, Old Yeller. And I watched that, that story so many times. And you know what happens in, in Old Yeller in that movie. If you don't know it, Old Yeller protects the kids in the house. They're living on a farm. And old yeller gets attacked. Is it by a bear? Is that right? Is it a bear? I don't know. Maybe you can remember. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's, it's a cougar. That's right. It's a cougar. And old yeller develops rabies. And so, I don't want to give, away, give it away, but you know, you could go home, maybe look it up on Netflix or something. <laughs> but the family has to take old yeller and they have to shoot 
this dog that had faithfully served their family because he had rabies. And, you know, the Bible commentator Newell said this. He said, mad dogs are to be shot. Infectious diseases are quarantined. But too often evil teachers who would divide to their destruction and draw away the saints with teaching contrary to the doctrine of Christ and his apostles and his apostles everywhere are tolerated. And Paul says this, you are not to tolerate it. You are not to tolerate it. For me, that just convicted my heart this week. You know, in our church, we do not tolerate, I'm going to say it right now, we do not tolerate those who would cause division. We, would, we do not tolerate those who would bring false doctrine opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ here. You know, wolf never announces his presence. That's why the Bible calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. So they don't show up. Here I am, little pig, little pig, let me come in. No, they come dressed like sheep. And so Paul gives two instructions to this church. He says, mark them, identify them, and avoid them. Isn't that good? You know, so when I think about the church, look, people are welcome here, man. We want people to come here. We want our community to come. Many are welcome here, but some are not welcome. And here's who, not, who are not welcome. Dividers and false teachers. Those who would not be faithful to Christ and seek to bring division in our church. And so Paul warns his church. He speaks of them. He says, in verse 19, for your obedience is known to all, so I rejoice over that over you, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. And so again, I think he's still on this topic. If He's on this context still of warning the church about those who would be deceivers and those who divide. And he says the best, really the best defense against those who would divide you and those who would deceive you is to be more acquainted with good than you are with evil. You know, they say, you know, don't study the counterfeit, but the genuine, right? I mean, that's, that's always the principle when they're, you know, so I've been told and so you've heard in church so many times in your life. If you want to identify the counterfeit versus the genuine, you don't study the counterfeit, you study the genuine, and Paul says this, no good. More than you are, no evil, no good. Make good your pursuit. And if you do that, then you'll be able to identify the counterfeit. You know, again, I think about those two guys that I sat down with that time. And the way Satan works, he's a deceiver. And, and Satan, the reality is that Satan is smarter than you and I. And there's many Christians who over the years have sat down with different people and they've, they've thought, you know, I'm strong theologically and I can argue with these people or this or that. And they've fallen into deception and fallen into Satan, Satan's lies because they're, I just think investing sometimes their energy in wrong places. You know what I would say to you? Jesus said this, the fields are ripe unto harvest. Invest your energy in those who are ripe for the harvest. Not those who are out being deceivers. Leave them to their deception. Reach into the hearts of those who are open to Jesus. You know, know the genuine. Know the real Jesus so that you can smell out those who are selling the false Jesus. He says, be innocent of evil. You know, it's, uh, you know, the world just leaves its stench on our life, doesn't it? Think about Moses and Moses, when he fled from Egypt, it was 40 years in that desert where God was purging him of the stench of Egypt and the influence of that culture and that world that he had grown up in. And when God got the smell of Egypt off of Moses, then Moses could be used by God. And so Paul says here, no good. No good more than you know evil. Know the genuine more than you know the counterfeit. And so as he just encourages the church this way, man, he says, you guys are a source of joy in my life. I rejoice over you as I think of you. He says in verse 20, 
The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I shaved off my beard, did you notice? And uh, yeah, I have not enjoyed looking in the mirror all week because my head feels like it's shrunk like this way. And I, I, whenever I think of this verse, I think of this old skit from an old show when I was a teenager called Kids in the Hall. Not the most appropriate show, but I watched it when I was a teenager. And they had this skit where they would say, I'm squishing your head, I'm squishing your head. So I, I think about this when the Lord says, God is going to crush Satan under your feet. Not going to just squish his head, but he's going to be crushed under the feet of the Lord. And that's a great thing, that you and I do not have to crush Satan. You know, when you think about your enemy, the Lord says, I'm going to crush him. He's going to be crushed under my feet. So he says to the church, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. The unmerited favor of the Lord be with you. And now as, as Paul just continues sharing, he begins to mention these friends, these homies, these people that he's hanging with in Corinth as he writes this letter. Verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker greets you. So do Lucius, Jason, Sospiter, my kinsman. Timothy, well, what do you say about Timothy? I mean, you know lots about Timothy. Timothy was, actually, his name is mentioned as the joint sender in six of Paul's letters. Mentioned right side, right, right alongside of Paul's name. His friend, his chief associate in the ministry, a trusted minister who worked at his side, and most importantly, what Paul called him, my son in the faith. A man that he discipled. Timothy's there with him in Corinth. Lucius is there. In Acts 13, uh, Lucius was a part of the, the church leaders who laid their hands upon Paul and Barnabas and Antioch and sent them out on the first missionary journey. This guy's known Paul for a while. He's one of the ones that laid hands on him and ordained him in the sending out. Isn't that cool? He's with him there still. Jason. Jason was a Christian from Thessalonica who, who gave Paul and Silas lodging in his home when they were there in that city preaching the gospel. And, and I'll remind you what happened. What happened in Thessalonica was that a mob gathered at the house of Jason. And when they could not uh, get a hold of Paul, they actually attacked Jason's house and they took him and they dragged him before the court there in Thessalonica. And the, and the rulers of the city charged him with disturbing the peace and this whole kind of court scene played out. Then Sosipater is mentioned. Sosipater is from Berea. Remember what the Bible tells us about the Berean Christians? That the Bereans set an awesome example for us because they received the message of Jesus with great eagerness. And the scripture says they were in the word every day to see if the things that Paul was preaching was true. They searched the scripture, the Bereans. There's Sosipater right there. Then verse 22. Iturtius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. So Tertius is there. Imagine he's the scribe. He's penning the words of Paul. What a nightmare. That's all I could think. God bless Tertius. He's got a special place in heaven. As he had to sit there and Paul's like dictating these words to him and preaching to him. No, strike that out. Let's say it this way. No, the Lord wants to communicate this. And he's just there preaching it. And Tertius is writing it down. Imagine listening to Paul dictate. And it's interesting that the name Tertius means this. It means third. It means number three. Third. That's what this name means. So just file that thought for a second. Verse 23. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus. The city treasurer and our brother Quartus greet you. So here's, here's Gaius. Gaius uh, was a Corinthian baptized under Paul's ministry. He traveled with Paul throughout Asia. His name is mentioned in several places in the New Testament. He is a host to Paul here. The church is gathering in his home. Probably sitting in Gaius' you know, living room, sitting at his dining room table or something like that. This letter is being written. And people... This is what this is telling us, that people are involved in the work of the gospel, man. Friends.
The, the Apostle John in, in the book of 3rd John commended Gaius. He said that that man is a generous man who's faithful, hospitable. The church meets in his home. It's so great, uh, an awesome man. Erastus, the city treasurer, and Quartus, our brother, greet you. Erastus, the city, is tre- city treasurer. Now think about this. He's writing to the city of Rome, man, where the emperor of the Roman Empire sits. And who does Paul mention? The treasurer of all of Rome is a follower of Jesus Christ. Because God always plants his people somewhere. Right there in the highest, highest position of government. A man of great influence, I imagine. A man of great wealth. A man of power. A man of resources. There, Paul says, greet him. And he says, our brother Quartus. Now here's what's interesting about Quartus. The name Quartus means this. Number four. Fourth. So Paul says, greet number three and greet number four. There are number three and number four send their greetings to you. And that's interesting when you think about it because these men's names were numbered. Maybe they were tattooed on them because they were probably slaves. They were men who had been slaves in the Roman Empire and they'd come to faith in Jesus Christ and were serving in the kingdom of God. And I love that Erastus This man who is at the height of Roman power, his name is sandwiched between two slaves. Two numbers. But not numbers in God's kingdom. Men who are serving Jesus Christ. And you know, here here you think about just all of the socio-economic divides that can happen. The cultural divides that can happen between people. And Jesus wipes those out. Doesn't he? A man of influence and he's sitting there with slaves and they're sending their greetings and their names are included along with Paul's because that's what Jesus does he levels the ground between people and they're mentioned together because God likes ordinary people and then Paul just wraps up with this doxology verse 25 now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul wraps up here and he says this to the church. He says, to him who is able to strengthen you. That's, that's what God wants to do for his people. Always his heart for his people. To strengthen his people was the heart of Paul for his people. It should be our heart for our church and for our people to strengthen them. And Paul says here to me three things that kind of jumped off the page to me as I was studying this week. Three times he uses the word according. God will strengthen you according to this. And here they are, the three things. He says, God is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Christ. When we think about God's ability to establish and strengthen us, it totally hinges upon the preaching of the gospel and the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, God is able to strengthen you, secondly, according to the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but that has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings. He says there was a mystery. There was a secret, but it's been opened. It's been revealed. It's Jesus Christ. And he's not just for the, mis- the mystery here that he's referring is all the, throughout the whole book of Romans that the gospel is for the Jew and the Gentile, that it's for everyone. The mystery made known. And he says, according to the eternal command of God, And God is able to strengthen you, Paul says, at the very end, to bring about the obedience of faith. You know, I was first uh, just looking at the book of Romans. Often when I'm like uh, prepping, jumping to a new series, I like to just read the book in its entirety in one shot. Like just go, okay, Lord, speak to me. Let me get get a, a heart for what's going on in this whole book. And the line that jumped out to me months ago when I had the chance to do this back in the fall was these words here, to bring about the obedience of faith. 
Because Paul said the exact same thing in chapter 1, verse 5, when he was introducing this letter. He said, I write these things to bring about the obedience of faith. And now everything that's in this little book is sandwiched with these little lines to bring about the obedience of faith. And so this thought introduced the letter and it closes the letter. And to me, it's Paul saying this, from first to last, following Jesus is about faith. And God wants to strengthen your faith. He wants you to be obedient to the faith. And that has been the message that we've seen throughout the book of Romans, that it's faith from first to last, faith in Jesus Christ. We're not saved by works, not saved by this, not saved by that. No, faith in Christ Jesus alone. And God is able to strengthen your faith. And the way that he does it is through the preaching of the gospel, the revelation of his mystery that the gospel is for you, and by his command, his word. And Paul closes this letter with these words. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. See our God? He's the only wise God. Wisdom speaks of, of a person who knows the right thing to do and who does it. And that's our God. Our God knows what is right and he does what is right and he's willing to share his life with us. God of wisdom. And so, you know, as I read this chapter, it just gives me this simple reminder this morning and it's this, that our God is a relational God. That his, that the relationships that he brings about between his people, they matter to him. And what also matters to him is his own personal relationship with each one of us. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.